One of the side effects that I've experienced is having a really hard time making decisions. It's really hard for me to make decisions and I usually need people to tell me what to do. Please just pick what you want to do and I'll, I'll do it. There are also many side effects that play into my being, who I am. I lost my hair due to the chemo and it has done major changes to my skin and so that really does affect my self-esteem and what I do. If I don't feel like I look good enough then I sometimes just stay home and I do get embarrassed sometimes when I am out. I take for granted simple things like standing up out of a chair or getting out of bed or my feet gonna hold me up. So I have to really be intentional with my actions. I'm Sharon Betters from Market Ministries and I'm so glad you are joining us for my conversation with our very special guest who offers help and hope in her ongoing battle with a life-threatening disease. Mark Inc. Ministries is a nonprofit organization dedicated to producing and distributing resources that offer help and hope to the hurting, especially those who feel forgotten and alone in their life journey. Our Help and Hope Library includes numerous interviews with people who transparently share their redemption stories of finding purpose and healing in a hard place in life. And I have to say that one of the most special parts of my role with Mark Inc. is hearing those stories. And every time I do, I'm amazed by the joy that people have been able to find in those broken places of life. You can find many of our stories on our website at markinc.org. They are all free. You can download or listen to them for free. And many of them address life crises, such as the loss of a loved one, sexual abuse, adultery, divorce, Raising a Special Needs Child, Adoption, and our Coming Home from War series. It's designed especially for military families. So you can see we're dealing with really hard, hard um, life circumstances that are very difficult for the people who are in the middle of them. You're listening to one of our stories in our Warrior Woman audio library. Each woman in this series fits the definition of a warrior because she faces her challenges with faith, grit, and determination to experience purpose and joy, no matter how fierce the battle. While every person's story is unique, we are confident that these stories will help equip you for your own life journey, no matter what your circumstances. So in the studio today with me is my friend, Debbie Kaler. And Debbie Kaler, for me personally and for everyone who knows her, exemplifies what it means to be a warrior woman. Debbie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your willingness to tell your story. It's taken a long time for us to be able to get to this point, but the timing is perfect. Debbie, in 2009, you received some very disappointing and frightening news. Before you share what you were told, why don't you describe your life before that life-changing event? Well, I met my husband, Dennis, on a blind date. When our friends introduced us at the restaurant, I took Dennis's hand and smiled. He literally took a double take. I had blacked out all my teeth except the front one. It looked like I had only one tooth. I guess I stole his heart because we were married a little over a year later on September 8th in 1990. Our marriage hasn't been dull. On March 21st, 1992, I was on my way out to the car. 
I fell down on my front walkway and broke my foot and ankle in six places. Dennis rushed me to the emergency room, and I later found out at the time I fell, he was in the house calling my mom to let her know that we were on our way down to her house for my surprise baby shower. So my friends and family gathered everything up, and we had my baby shower in a conference room in the Glasgow Emergency Center. Dylan was born three days later. The first year of his life, Dylan suffered with febrile seizures, which he thankfully grew out of. And when he was about 14 months old, he was hospitalized with pneumonia. And Vincent came along two years after that. He was born on April 23rd, 1994, which is Dennis's birthday. I always joke, Vincent's the gift that keeps on giving. Vincent was born with a heart murmur. For two years, he had to be seen by a cardiologist for tests, and he was thankfully diagnosed with a non-life-threatening innocent heart murmur. In 1995, we were devastated when I suffered a miscarriage. Starting out our early years like that drew Dennis and I closer together, and it really made him become a real hands-on dad because he had to do a lot while I was laid up with the broken ankle and things like that. Before my diagnosis, I was real active with the boys I was a karate mom for many years. As they entered high school, I enjoyed being involved with their extracurricular activities. Drill team, crew team, track and cross country running team were all activities that we were just thrilled to be involved with. I was real involved in my church as a nursery assistant, information center volunteer, preschool teacher, and currently choir member. I was active with my family and friends and enjoyed spending lots of time with them. So Debbie, you had a very busy, normal, everyday life, like a lot of women, and then something profound happened that changed everything. What was that? Well, in November 2008, I started having symptoms that I attributed to the onset of menopause because I was 48 years old and I just thought this menopause starting to happen. So... By the grace of God, I had my yearly exam scheduled in January of 2009 with my gynecologist. And as I was getting ready to leave, she asked me if there was anything I wanted to talk about, anything I was concerned with. And just almost off the top of my head, I kind of just said, well, I am having this one issue. And I told her about it. And she thought it was important enough to have testing done. So I had CAT scan and different tests performed, and the results were still inconclusive as to what it was. My doctor still wasn't sure if it was cancer or not. My doctor and I discussed several courses of action I could take, and I chose the most aggressive one, which was to have a complete hysterectomy. It was only during the surgery that my doctor would be able to tell if I had cancer or not. So I had to wait until I had the surgery to find out. And since that was the case, she thought it would be a good idea to have a gynecological oncologist with her so that if cancer was present, he could step in and take care of the cancer part of it. So when I woke up from surgery, I was in recovery and the oncologist was standing there And I asked him if I had cancer, and he said yes. And that's when I found out I actually had cancer. And it was, um, he told me that it was stage 3B, 
ovarian cancer. What were your thoughts when you heard that news? I was almost prepared for it. I, I have to say I don't know that I was surprised with the diagnosis. And since I just woke up from surgery, I was still maybe in la-la land for a little bit. So it really didn't come as a surprise. And how old were your boys? Dylan was 17 and Vincent was 15, and they were both still in high school. So when you woke up and you're healing from your surgery and you go back to the doctor for a plan and a prognosis, what did your doctor tell you was your prognosis? He honestly never said any of that. It was almost like, well, okay, now that you've had the surgery, you've got cancer, you're going to make an appointment and come to my office, and you're going to start chemotherapy. And basically, that was it. What was the plan of action? The plan of action was to undergo six months of chemotherapy. I would go, I think if I can remember correctly, it was three weeks on and one week off. So I did that for six months. What kind of changes did you experience in your everyday life, physically? Well, chemo made me very fatigued. That was the major side effect that I suffered from chemo was extreme fatigue. So at the end of six months, I was pronounced in remission. So at that point in time, I went 14 months in remission. And I honestly didn't think the cancer would come back. I thought, well, I had made it 14 months. It's not coming back because that's a pretty long time. So, Debbie, wow, you went through um, six months of chemotherapy. I've been through chemotherapy, and it's tough. It's, it can be really tough. And you mentioned the exhaustion was one of the hardest parts for you. So I imagine when you found out that you were in remission, whew, this is behind <laughs> me, and I'm just going to go on. But that was in 2009. And it's now, while we're doing this interview, it's 2016. And, you know, I've watched up close and from afar as your life has unfolded. Your cancer diagnosis and treatment was not the only big event in that time period. What are some of the other traumatic changes that have taken place in your life during that time period? Well, in addition to the ovarian cancer diagnosis, I also found out that I had a defect in the breast cancer gene. So I was told that I had an 80% chance of getting breast cancer, so I opted to have a prophylactic double mastectomy, and that was followed by numerous reconstructive surgeries. And also, at the same time, my son Dylan was getting ready to graduate from high school, And I remember when I found out I had cancer, one of the first things I thought about was, will I get to see him graduate? So not only did I get to see Dylan graduate from high school, I got to see him graduate from college, moved to Morton, Pennsylvania to work for AmeriCorps, and a year later moved to Pittsburgh to start medical school. I was also blessed to see Vincent graduate from high school and move to Newark, Delaware to start college. I'm looking forward to my next milestone, God willing, and that's seeing Vincent graduate from college. Vincent was riding his bike, and in 2013, he was hit by an SUV. He was riding his bicycle in Newark, and an SUV T-boned him. And Vincent was thrown over the hood of the SUV. Doctors think that the SUV actually ran over his hand because his hand was crushed. 
and he lost several teeth and just really traumatic. And he's made a full recovery, thankfully, and he still has a couple more procedures to have done to his teeth before they're finally finished. In the past four years alone, I've suffered the loss of four dear friends and three of my parents to cancer, and I've lost family members due to greed and issues of the heart as well. So as I'm listening to you describe that time frame in your life, you are kind of uh, facing big events with your boys, uh, graduation from high school, starting med school, a terrible accident, an empty nest looming. And then you mentioned your parents, your mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, your Mom, too, uh, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And then um, your dad also was diagnosed with cancer, and all three um, were lost to that disease. And here you are, at the same time, you didn't stay in remission. Right. So what happened next? I enjoyed 14 months of remission, and the cancer came back. So I began chemotherapy again, and I've had three remissions, I believe, one for 14 months, then one for eight months, and then the last one was five months. And now cancer has returned, and in my case, it's considered chronic because it's not going to go away. I'm just going to, you know, continue treatment with it, unless God decides to heal me before I finish treatments. And I know that you have added the title of cancer fighter to your job description. Right. (laughs) So it's an ongoing battle as a warrior woman uh, to be battling this disease uh, so that you can have a quality life with your family. I, as I said, I had um, breast cancer and the aggressive chemotherapy, and I can't imagine experiencing so many of those blows uh, over and over and over again. And yet somehow you have been able to keep an upbeat and very positive outlook on life, uh, which I think is remarkable. It's remarkable to the people who know you. But surely you must have experienced some dark times, um, some struggles. What, what are some of the practical challenges that you experienced? I'd get really sad when I thought of all the milestones I would miss. I wondered if I'd even see Dylan graduate from high school. I did a lot of grieving over the time that I wouldn't have with them. I was heartbroken when I thought of the grief that my parents would suffer losing a daughter, that Dennis would suffer losing his wife, and that the boys would suffer losing their mom. Of course, I could just be tooting my own horn. Would Dennis, Dylan, and Vincent remember me as being tired all the time? Will my friends think I don't care when I don't even have the energy to call or email or text? Life goes on around me whether I'm feeling well or not. Sometimes I feel like a spectator instead of a participant. Dennis never complains, but I feel bad that in addition to working full-time, he gave me added responsibilities involved with taking care of me, our boys, our parents, the house, and the shopping because I'm too tired or sick. He has the emotional me to contend with too. In addition to those thoughts creeping into my mind, I could drive myself crazy thinking about each new ache or pain, swollen gland or upcoming test results. Depression is also a side effect of cancer and the treatment itself. Fighting cancer takes up so much time. Besides the physical changes that puts limitations on my time, 
there are hundreds of medical appointments to plan around. One of the major side effects that I've experienced with cancer and chemo is the fatigue that I suffer. It's extreme fatigue. So that puts limits on everything I do. I have to make plans around how I'm feeling. It's hard to plan ahead because I never know how I'm going to feel from one day to the next. I do things in the morning because that's when I have the most energy. I'm usually done around 2 or 3 o'clock, and, and I mean done. <laughs> Sometimes it's even hard to cook dinner. I have to conserve energy and rest up if I'm planning something big, a big outing for the day. I have to actually prepare the day before and make sure I don't overexert myself that day so I still have energy to do what I want to do on the day I made the plans for. And I have to decide what takes priority as well. And one of the side effects that I've experienced is having a really hard time making decisions. It's really hard for me to make decisions. And I usually need people to tell me what to do. Please just pick what you want to do and I'll, I'll do it. And I've decided to encourage Dennis to do things himself as well. Like if I am too tired to do anything, I do encourage him to go out and enjoy himself. And I honestly don't have a problem with that. I actually feel better if he does that. I don't feel as guilty holding him back. And the fatigue had me leave my elementary teacher's aid job that I loved. I just didn't have the energy when I got home to take care of my family. Some of the other side effects I have with the chemo or the radiation are little to no strength. I have um, developed a sensitivity to cold or heat, a compromised immune system, thyroid complications, and high blood pressure. Kind of all of it kind of goes along with the, the treatment. There are also many side effects that play into my being, who I am. I lost my hair due to the chemo, and it has done major changes to my skin. And so that really does affect my self-esteem and what I do. If I don't feel like I look good enough, then I sometimes just stay home. And I do get embarrassed sometimes when I am out. I'm easily winded, so it takes me longer to get from point A to point B than it would normally. I've had neuropathy in my hands and feet, so I have to be real careful when I pick something up because I take it for granted. I just go to pick something up and not realizing I didn't have a grip on it, so I drop a lot of things, and I trip a lot. Of course, I've always tripped a lot. I've been clumsy, so this has kind of made it a little bit worse, and it also affects my balance. So I have to be real careful because... I take for granted simple things like standing up out of a chair or getting out of bed or my feet going to hold me up. So I have to really be intentional with my actions. I'm so glad you're sharing these things because for someone who is in the same place as you, battling cancer and feeling alone in the struggles and wishing people understood, wishing people knew that it, it isn't, I'm not going because I don't want to go, but because I don't want to be a drag and I'm exhausted and I need to rest. And 
for those who love that cancer fighter to have a better insight into how they're feeling and they may not be able to express it the way that you just did, Debbie. So I, I think it's really important. And it's interesting because when you're in remission, you have residual impact of the treatment. Yes. It's it's. I remember uh, after my treatments, the six months of, of chemo, the doctor said it's going to take at least a year mm-hmm. for you to start to feel the same energy level that you had before. And um, so that most people don't know that or understand yes. that. Yes. And, and I think it's uh, there's a loneliness yes. in the journey when you feel as though people may have a wrong impression mm-hmm. of the reasons you do some of the things that you do. Mm-hmm. So at one point in your journey, the doctor outlined a really risky uh, treatment. And and one of the things for you we talked about earlier is that in your uh, cancer battle, the doctors keep coming up, as you said, they have more tricks up their sleeve. You're living at a time where... If this doesn't work, we're going to try something else. Mm-hmm. And and you have been a willing guinea pig. Tell us about that time where the doctor outlined a really, in my opinion, a terrifying treatment. At that point, I had three options, actually. There was a clinical trial that I was eligible for. There was more chemo or there was that surgery that the doctor explained to us. It's called intraperitoneal hypothermic chemotherapy. And what they do is they open you up, they take out all the cancer they can see, they clear all the cancer off of your organs, and before they sew you back up entirely, all the layers that they sew up, they run hot chemotherapy through your abdomen. And so it's not something that's really been heard of in the United States, the, the doctor that I had, the surgeon that I had, was kind of a groundbreaker. He had done this surgery overseas. I forget where he was from. It might have been India. And he had done the pers- performed surgeries there that were very successful. So when you uh, were faced with this decision, why did you opt in? Why do you say, yeah, I'm going to do that? What were your other options? You had other treatments, but what was what did he say to you that helped you to say, yes, let's do this? Well, the doctor actually told me that if I didn't have the surgery, I would only have three months to live. And he also told me that it would extend my life expectancy to two years. So that was a little bit unsettling as well. But I thought if that's the best of my options, that's what I'm going to do. And when was that? 2010. And now it's 2016. Yes. So obviously, you made a good choice. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was a good choice. Yes. And we do live, as, as I said, we do live in a, a time where new treatments are being developed every you know, as we go. And so taking the risk of that surgery... Um, gave you an opportunity for other treatments um, because it was successful for you. So I think that must enter into decisions when people are faced with experimental treatments Mm -hmm. um, and to be a guinea pig, it's, well, maybe this is going to keep me alive for the next treatment that's going to come along. And that's exactly how I thought of it. It's kind of buying me time until the next new treatment came along. What are some of the most helpful things that people did for you when in in your cancer journey? 
some of the practical things that my friends did that really helped me. Having a second set of ears when you're going to a doctor's appointment, having that second set of ears with you is really helpful because your friend can write down what the doctor is saying while I'm trying to process everything the doctor's saying because a lot of it just goes right over my head. So it's really helpful to have a friend go with you and write that down. I found it really helpful as well when people provided meals for me and my family, a ride to the doctor, or just an ear to listen. That was really nice to have company. If your friend feels up to it, get them out of the house for a change of scenery. It gets hard just staring at the same four walls. And I became critical of everything I looked at. Well, I don't like that picture and I need something new to go there. So I needed to get out of the house for a while. It's nice to get away from things that are cancer related. And also, I would keep tabs on your friend because sometimes depression can set in and I wasn't very likely to reach out to anyone. I would get into these little spurts of depression and just kind of fold into myself. So it's nice to have people that would just keep tabs on you to make sure you're okay and to maybe turn things around for you. How important were cards and maybe text messages or emails? They were lifesavers because they always came at the perfect time. It was amazing. And I know that that was all God's doing because it was perfect timing. And it was just really encouraging and what I needed to hear right when I heard it. So let's say I'm, I have a friend who's struggling and it's somebody that I really care about, but I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt their feelings or upset them. What what would you recommend is the best way to encourage someone? I would actually ask them, is there anything that you need? A lot of times, too, though, I know myself, I wouldn't ask for help. So it might be helpful for you to just jump right in and do something that you feel led to do. When I was diagnosed, I'll never forget, one of the women from the church um, came to me and said, there's a group of us that's going to come over and clean your house. We know you don't want us to do it. We know that you'll probably try to lock the door on us, but forget about it. (laughs) We are coming. So you can make a list if you want, but we're going to clean the house. You can leave, get your husband to take you out somewhere. We're also going to set up meals for you. Mm-hmm. You know, they they did not give me a choice in it. Yes. And I needed it. Yes. I needed the help so desperately. And it was such a relief yes. to know that there were people taking care of me. So there are so many good practical things that people can do. And I, I know that people often feel like it's such a little thing, you know, to send a card or to text the person. But you're right, Debbie. They come at just the right moment. Mm-hmm. And we know that. It's a treasure that's being sent to us to, okay, I can take the next step. Somebody cares about me. And that is a good, you brought up a good point about depression. Mm -hmm. You know, with um, depression is often centered in nobody cares about me. My life is just in the toilet. And we need truth speaking people in our lives, people to remind us of the blessings that are around us. 
So, and sometimes that's all we need is to get us out of a funk. And, you know, it kind of makes me think, too, along that line, when people were bringing meals, I look forward to seeing them. And I would, and I met so many people that I had not known, but they just decided to bring me meals and I made new friends through that as well. How important was your choice of a doctor? You definitely want a doctor who keeps up with the newest advances in cancer treatment and the latest clinical trials. So it would be helpful to research your oncologist and his practice beforehand. I never did that. I don't think I even thought, I didn't think to do that. I just went to who my gynecologist recommended. And I kind of just learned different things by experience. So along with that, it's important to have a doctor and staff who treat you with respect and are willing to help you. You need help understanding your diagnosis and you need help taking care of insurance issues. You're going to be in a close relationship with your oncologist and staff during your journey. So you want to be comfortable with them. So what you're saying is the staff is almost as important as the doctor. Yes. If, If I may say... One of the reasons I left one of the practices is because of the staff. And it's important to have people to be able to help you through the red tape. This is all new. You're navigating areas you've never navigated before. You have no clue. And so it's just been a huge help to have people that take care of you in that way as well. Your job is to fight cancer. That's your one and only job. So you need to focus all your energy on that and not all the little things. So your your doctor might be the lead in the team, but the staff, I, I go back to that warrior woman picture, they're the soldiers yes. that are surrounding you and, and maybe standing in front of you when, when, you might, when you're wounded and having a good response when you're scared or when you call and you need to know what the the uh, results are of a particular test mm-hmm. and they don't put you off and mm-hmm. they really get inside of your heart. So that's, th- that is extremely important. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I realized uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer is that I needed to ask questions yeah. and ask the same questions over and over again. When I would be in for treatment, I would ask every single time, what is this chemo, what do you expect it to do, what is its name, force myself not to think of the medical people as the experts, and so just let them do whatever they wanted to do to me. I wanted to understand everything they were doing to me. I think that helps make them more accountable, Right. too. Right. And you do need a doctor who will be patient with you and answer all your questions, no matter how many questions you have. You need a doctor who's going to be patient with you as well. Can you um, talk to the support staff? You've kind of touched on it already, but talk to that that support staff and just share a few things that you would look for if you had to find a new place for treatment based on your experience over the past seven years. What would you look for? I would look for, like I said before, a doctor who and a staff who treat you with respect and they take the time to patiently answer your questions. We have so much going on in our minds that it's sometimes hard to even comprehend what they're saying. It's helpful to have a team 
to help you navigate through the different areas that you're going through. It's really helpful to have someone to navigate the red tape and and especially to help take care of scheduling needs. Don't make us wait for appointments that aren't scheduled for another month down the road. Every minute counts for us. Um, Treat us with the same sense of urgency that you would treat your mother or your father. You know, it's, it's important to do that. In my case, I have two exceptional oncologists and a whole team of doctors and specialists. So this is new to me. I had never had that before, and I don't know how many places offer this, but you have a whole team who takes care of the whole person. And so that's really something that would be beneficial to patients. I had a friend whose husband is dealing with a life-threatening cancer, and they said that they felt the best thing, especially when it is a cancer that is difficult to treat, is to go to a cancer center, where, as you said earlier, they know about the trials, they know about the new treatments um, to make sure that you're getting the most cutting-edge counsel and treatment and care. Debbie, you've been in remission. You just found out that the cancer has returned, so you're facing another round of treatments. Do you ever want to just give up? Not at all. God has given me the faith and the strength to do what I've needed to do to survive and actually thrive for these seven and a half years. And I feel great. And I'll keep fighting until God lets me know clearly that it's time to stop. I don't think about stopping. It's totally up to God and His timing. You know, you mentioned that it's totally up to God. And I think Part of that is it's totally up to God in your heart whether or not you live or die. Um, You've watched your mother and your stepmother both die of the same disease. Talk to us a little bit about how you felt when that happened in the context of your own battle with cancer. When I first lost my mom, that's when the cancer became real to me because I never felt sick, I never looked sick, and neither did my mom. She continued the battle and never complained, and just all of a sudden, she was done. She just died. I know that when I learned about your mom and her diagnosis, and then your stepmom had the same diagnosis, My heart just went out to you because I thought, what is Debbie thinking? Is she thinking about her own life? Is she thinking, this is where I'm headed? Um, As we watched both of them, we could say lose the battle, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we know that we have a different perspective than that. What were you thinking? I was actually in disbelief. I just was in total shock. And when Mom Hilda was diagnosed, it was when she told me, We both laughed because it was so surreal. And one thing that she did tell me was that the reason she knew that something was wrong because of my experience and her, you know, helping me and taking care of me and going to doctor's appointments really helped her to know that there was something wrong. And I just didn't really believe it until my mom died and it became real to me. And then my stepmom, Hilda, passed away. I thought, wow, it's just me now. And why wasn't it me? Because I've had cancer the longest and I'm still here. How do you face the possibility of death 
from cancer? And are you ever afraid? Right now, I'm not afraid. But my faith in God is paramount in my battle. When fear or doubt enter my mind, or I think I'm next, you know, after seeing my parents pass away, I focus on God and trust that he's in control. I literally have to force myself to go there. Admittedly, each time I've been told that a medication has stopped working, I'm initially disappointed. It takes me a couple of days to recover. When I find out this news, it does take me a couple of days to kind of recover and, and process it. And then I just go back to living one day at a time. And I do wait until the oncologist tells me what to do next. It's almost like I follow him like a, a sheep. I just do it. And he's real encouraging and always has another trick up his sleeve, a new medication to try, or a new cocktail medication to mix, a new cocktail to mix. And just in the time since I've had cancer, new medications have come out, new clinical trials have cropped up, and there are a lot of options for the side effects that go along with treatment. I don't think about not having any more options, But when the time does come, I'm sure it will take me a couple of days to recover from that revelation as well that, you know, okay, you don't have a lot of time left. And it's going to take me a couple of days to get over that as well. And I do wonder, will I be afraid? I don't know if I'm going to be afraid or not. And I do know that it will be God's will and his timing is perfect. He had my days numbered from before I was born whether I die from cancer or something else. It could be something else totally unrelated to cancer. So Debbie, you're, you're talking about some pretty big issues here on the fact that there could come a point where the doctor says, we've done everything we can, there's nothing else to do. And you're going to have to deal with that. But I expect you're probably going to deal with it the way that you've dealt with all of the other setbacks. And that's to take a deep breath and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm sure there are people who are listening who are saying, that sounds like such a Pollyanna response to a life and death question. So why are you able to say, I'm trusting God and I'm comfortable trusting him? When I was young, in my early 20s, I remember having a lot of conversations with Mom Hilda over the kitchen table. We would just sit and talk. And Whenever I had a question about God, I would ask Mom Hilda. I didn't know what was different about her, but I knew she was different. And she had a love for me that was unconditional. She would answer all my questions. She wouldn't get mad at me for asking the same questions over and over again. She was very patient. And at the end of our conversation, I would just go on my merry way, and there weren't any changes in me from having talked to her. But I knew I wanted to be like her. And the difference with her was that she knew God and who he was. And eventually, all those years of talking with my mom, and I know she was praying for me every day, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I professed my faith in him that he died for my sins. God loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for my sins. And Jesus was sinless. 
and he took on the sins of the world, and he died, and he rose again, and now he sits on the right-hand side of God. And I believe that, and I know that that's true, and he's going to come again, and I know that that's where I'm going to be. I'll be in heaven when I die. I will be in heaven. And having professed my faith has made me want to know him better. And when I say that, I mean I get to know Jesus by reading the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and that's where I get to know him better. I read my devotions every morning, and these are different books and magazines I have that point me to scripture. And then after I read that, there's a story that corresponds with the scripture, but it's practical and you can use it in your daily life. And Jesus has spoken to me through the scriptures, through the devotions that I've read. He's just been so encouraging. And I know that it's, I know it's God, I know it's Jesus, because there's no other way I could have the peace and the joy that I have in my current situation. And he's just proven over and over again how much he loves me by even the simple little things. He knows I love hummingbirds, and he brings me hummingbirds to look at, and the little squirrels in the front yard I love watching, and just so personal. He's so personal with me. So Debbie, you've mentioned a few practical things that you do to keep your eyes fixed on living in the moment. What else do you do to keep walking by faith in this cancer fighting battle? I pray a lot. I pray all day. And I read the Bible. I also have different signs with scripture hung throughout the house. So they're great reminders not to worry because God's got this. God has my back. I always have a song in my head praising God. They just pop into my head and I could be singing them all day. Sometimes I drive myself crazy. (laughs) I attend a Bible study and it's interesting because the Bible study that I attend is about dealing with grief, but I'm amazed at how it also applies to my journey with cancer, because I am grieving in a way. I'm grieving the time that I might not have with my kids and different thoughts that come into my mind. I also joined a cancer support group, and it's actually called Cancer Fighters, and it's really just a big social group. We just have a good time together and do different little activities. I am a member of an amazing church, and I attend every Sunday, and that's one of my lifelines. I need to hear the word preached as well as reading it on my own, and I need to be with my church family. I am lost when I miss a week. I really, truly miss it, and I'm not myself. I also sing in the church choir, and that's really uplifting because we're, we're singing songs of praise, and they're also members of my family. I consider the choir my family as well. I volunteer. I volunteer at Bingo, where I go for treatment. And I try to do as much as I can with my friends. I used to be worried about, oh, I just have so much to do around the house. I have so much to do in the yard. But then I have to rethink and 
say to myself, how important is that? And what's more important, getting things done or spending time with your friends? And I used to take life for granted, but all of our days are numbered and you just never know when you're not going to see your friends any longer. One of the things about having cancer is I've lost a lot of friends to cancer as well. So I try not to take them for granted, my friends for granted. And I do have conversations with Dennis when I'm feeling moody or tired or unaffectionate. Some of the symptoms cause these feelings, and I want to make sure he knows that it's not him and that it's just what I'm going through. And Sometimes it can be spiritual. Sometimes I do have my lows. But the way I keep going is to pray and ask God for his help. And I know he's going to help me because he's already done so much through this journey that I know I can trust him. Debbie, um, as we wrap up our conversation, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? The usual life expectancy for ovarian cancer patients is about five years. And I'd offer a little advice to um, people who are diagnosed to not go online to find out information about your illness. Ask your doctor and don't be afraid to get a second opinion. After cancer returned the third time, my condition was considered chronic. It's never going to go away. And since the disease has spread into my liver, I was upped from stage 3B to stage 4. Unless God decides otherwise, I'll be in treatment the rest of my life. But here's the thing, I'm not dying of cancer, I'm living with cancer. I don't know the end of my story, but God does. I trust Him because in Hebrews 13:5, God tells me that He will never leave me nor forsake me. Also, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Debbie, for sharing your story. And thank you to those of you who are listening and for joining us for this story of help and hope that Mark Inc. Ministries has produced just for you. I'm Sharon Betters, and I'm eager for you to visit markinc.org, where you can download more stories or listen for free to stories that are going to offer you help and hope, all completely free. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C dot or you can call us toll-free at 1-877-M-A-R-K-I-N-C. If these stories have helped you in your life journey, or if you have a story that can offer help and hope to others, please contact us today.